I think Holy Spirit had revealed to her more than we know that he had revealed to her. Two weeks ago, we started our series on the original Christmas playlist, and we looked at the angels' song. In Latin, that is Glorious in Excelsis Deo. Today, we're going to look at Mary's song uh, from the original Christmas playlist. Let me give you a little bit of history. Mary's Hebrew name was Miriam. There was another Miriam in the Bible in the Old Testament, the sister of Moses in the book of Exodus, and she was waiting to be delivered from the bondage of slavery with the rest of the children of Israel. Then there was Mary, the mother of Jesus in the New Testament, and she along with the Jews were awaiting a deliverance from the bondage that they were in captivity to the Romans, not realizing that the Messiah was going to come to deliver them not just from the oppression of the Romans, but the oppression of the law. They were in bondage to sin. Miriam of the Old Testament, after crossing the Red Sea in Exodus 15, took out a tambourine and sang her song of deliverance, and it's found in verse 20 there in Exodus. And with dancing she sang, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Pay attention to that. Because the New Testament Mary sings, now watch this, as a second exodus is about to happen. There was an exodus out of Egypt, a type and shadow of the people coming out of the bondage of slavery of sin. But through the deliverer that she was carrying, there would be a second exodus, freeing us from the bondage of sin and death through the law. The Old Testament song of Miriam's sang was a praise song of deliverance, and so was Mary's song. It was a praise song of deliverance. One was for the children of Israel specifically. The other was a song of deliverance for all of humanity. Mary sang about us. It, we'll see it here. Her song has been titled through the ages, The Magnificent, and that means my soul does magnify the Lord. Uh, read with me from the screen, if you would like, or from your Bibles, Luke, the first chapter, verses 46 through 55, as we see the lyrics to the song that Mary sang, and as Luke recorded, Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I wish I had the, the melody and the beat to this song. And his mercy is on all those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, watch this, and to his seed forever. I'm going to come back to that. Because she sang of the seed of Abraham, which means she sang about me and you. 
four things quickly this morning that I think we can learn from this song of praise that Mary sang. Number one, she rejoiced. Mary rejoiced. I would love for the church to rejoice. It would be a wonderful, amazing thing if we could do as Mary did and say that our soul magnifies the Lord. Too many times we magnify situations, circumstances, the news, our health problems, our condition, and we're not magnifying the Lord. Other times we get out a magnifying glass and we will magnify the sin of others so that it doesn't make us feel too bad. Well, take that magnifying glass and turn it around, and as David said in Psalm 34, let's magnify the Lord. Let's exalt His name together. When you start magnifying the Lord and making Him real big, you can't do anything but help to rejoice. Then she said, my spirit rejoices. That word rejoice there means with exceeding gladness to leap, to spring up, to gush forth water from an artesian well. We have to remember the setting. Earlier in chapter 1 of Luke, the angel of the Lord has appeared to Elizabeth, told her she would, in her barrenness, have a child, John, whom the scripture said would be full of the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. Then Mary finds out that she's blessed and highly favored, and she's pregnant without knowing a man. Now, Elizabeth did not have an immaculate conception. She had a husband. His name was Zachariah. Mary had not known a man, was only engaged, and had not slept with a man, and had an immaculate conception as the Holy Spirit came upon her. She goes to travel to her um, uh, cousin Elizabeth's home, and there she announces to Elizabeth that she's with child, and the scripture says that the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb leapt, rejoiced. John the Baptist, the forerunner, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, before he was birthed, was rejoicing at the announcement that Jesus would be born. I believe that that's why I believe that life begins at conception. And life is very important and that a life within the womb can respond to stimula from outside of the womb. Mm. The Mirror Bible says that her spirit overflowed with great joy. It goes on to say that she was very aware of the gaze of God's favor upon her life. If there's one thing that Lisa and I are endeavoring to do is we want to help you make, make you more aware of God's gaze of favor upon your life. I'm not saying there's not battles. Favor is not the absence of problems. Favor is not contingent, it's constant. And that favor is from the gaze of your Father in heaven. And the favor of God, I don't know why I'm getting this ring this morning, if you can look at that, Matthew. The favor of God always outweighs the opinion of man. Now, despite the almost certain humiliation that would accompany Mary's unwed pregnancy, she rejoiced. She was determined to rejoice because of the favor of God on her life. If we don't 
If our gaze is somewhere else, you just need to remember that His gaze is always on you and He gazes upon your life with favor. His favor will always exceed your expectation. It's amazing how the lyrics that Mary sang in this song refer to His favor being from generation to generation. He didn't stop with that group of people. I hear all of the time, man, it was great in 1985 when such and such was singing and such and such was preaching and sister so-and-so was running the owls. God's favor didn't stop then. God's favor is available today. Generation to generation. Verse 47 says, From now on, His favor will be endorsed in every birth. Did you hear that? And His blessing will be evident from all generations, or to all generations, to realize His favor. I want to point out something here. God's favor is not a reward for your good behavior. Or because of your social or your economic status. The mystery that had been hidden from all of the ages, Isaiah, when he begins to prophesy about the birth of Jesus, he says, those who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. In other words, the mystery had been concealed, but through the birth of Jesus, the mystery would be revealed. And it would be revealed to generations throughout generations, and it would happen in the incarnation revelation. The Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, but the greater than that, Him dwelling in us. His favor will be endorsed in every birth. Now, just hold on to your britches for a second because this might be new territory. What I see in this is the favor of God has been on every birth since the birth of Christ. In other words, <laughs> no one has been born in Adam since Christ. I'm just reading some scripture here. That the context and the significance to every birth on the planet changed when Christ was born. That's why her soul was magnifying the Lord. There was an implication that every human being on the face of the planet that would ever be born would be blessed because of what? Now that's opposite of a lot of the preaching that we hear because we hear death and damnation and sin. and It's amazing to me that we could preach that every child is born in sin but they're covered to a certain age. That's not in the Bible. Just thought I'd let you know that. Number two, Mary acknowledged God's goodness. She rejoiced, but then she acknowledged His goodness. Are you with me? Verse 49. He has done great things for me. Could anybody raise their hand and testify that He has done great things for you? He is indeed the Mighty One, and His name is holy. In other words, if we said that in the way the Greek writes it there, we would say that His name is extravagant goodness. It's what holy means there that she was acknowledging that it was the goodness of God that was caused. He has done great things for me. We used to sing a song like that. 
Holy is his name. Now this time period, Aramaic was the language. If you were a Hebrew, you were probably speaking Aramaic. Unless you had been highly educated, you would have been like Paul, who spoke both Greek and Aramaic. Most scholars would teach you that Jesus spoke three languages. Hebrew, because he learned Torah. Greek and Aramaic, which was the common language of the Jews during this time period. So Mary, speaking Aramaic, probably used the word chesed, which properly means abundant goodness and exuberant kindness. So she saw that when the angel said to her that you are blessed and highly favored, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You are going to conceive within you the Son of God. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. We need some be it unto you according to your word people. We need a generation of people that will believe that the word of the Lord that he has spoken to us and about us is the way that we want to walk and operate in life. Mary's not the only one that can say, I'm blessed and highly favored. We can raise our hands, and it's not just a cliche when somebody says, how are you doing, to say, I'm blessed and highly favored. It is the truth. Whether you believe it or not, you're blessed and highly favored. And he has done great things for you. And will continue to. Now this word used of kindness or love between people it is used for love and kindness between people as well as for the mercy and the generosity of God towards all humans. Grace, that's the word, chest. It's, it's the word grace. She said that everything that is happening to me is because God is showing his grace to me. I thought people at Grace Life might like to hear that word this morning. In verse 51... Mary continues to sing, What he has accomplished in me is by the strength of his arm. The incarnation of Jesus is God's arm reaching into your immediate situation. It was one thing in all of the Old Testament to hear about God and his goodness, what he was promising, what he promised to Abraham. But until they could touch it and feel it and see it in human form, to many it wasn't a reality. So as John puts it, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation of God taking on a man suit and dwelling among us and showing us His goodness, His kindness, His grace, and His favor towards mankind. In the Son, every gift of God is revealed. Everything that the pages of the Old Testament said that was a gift from God or a gift of God is revealed through Jesus. Isaiah said, He has saved us by His outstretched arm. By His right hand, He has lifted us up. Well, in the incarnation of Christ, when he stretches out his arms and they nail his hands to the tree, we see the reality of the gifts of God being revealed in his Son. He is God's embrace of the human race. Number three, Mary declared the victory of God. 
So she rejoiced, she acknowledges his goodness. These are things that we can learn to do, not just at Christmas. We don't wait till the December season rolls around and we put up trees and lights and we begin to rejoice in the goodness of God. It's an everyday thing that we should be rejoicing in the goodness of God, that we should be magnifying the Lord, that our spirits can leap within us and gush forth like an artesian well because we remember all of the goodness of God in our lives. And thirdly, she begins to declare God's victory. Look at verse 52. In this rescuing act of God, he dethroned the ruling dynasties. I love the mirror translation there. In parentheses, Francis Dutrois puts this in a commentary, that those dynasties were of the performance-based religious mindsets. So what was Mary declaring victory over? She was declaring victories over the dynasties of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were putting a performance-based religion on a group of people who really that's what they were under oppression of. Whether Rome was in charge or Greece was in charge or King Herod was in charge, the oppression was not coming from a governmental situation. The oppression was coming because they could not keep the law that they said and their forefathers had said that they could keep. And it caused a mindset that everything that was earned was because of a performance-based mindset. And Mary realizes and begins to declare that this rescuing act of God, He rescued us from that performance-based mentality and He elevated the downtrodden on high and He has filled the hungry with good things. That's victory. That's a victory mindset. That's a victory vocabulary. And her song, the lyrics that she was singing... Verses 46 through 55 come out of maybe a two-minute conversation that she has with an angel. She has a conversation with Gabriel who comes from the very presence of God and gives her a word about her destiny and her future and she begins to sing. We can learn from Mary to rejoice, to express God's goodness, and to declare the victory of God. In Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter, Joseph has a dream, and the angel of the Lord says unto him, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall, watch this, save his people from their sins. That word save, I'm talking about victory, that word save is sozo. It means to rescue from danger or destruction, to deliver and to protect, to heal and to preserve, to do well, to make whole. Sounds like victory to me. That's what Jesus came to do. Mary was carrying this victory inside of her and she began to declare it. As she, This is all happening in uh, Elizabeth's living room when she walks in the door after a journey, she walked to see her cousin to tell her cousin that she was expecting. And this is all happening right there in the living room, and she's singing. I, help me, Holy Ghost. It's difficult sometimes when people come to church 
they're in a service, the presence of God is here, and they don't participate. Just telling you from a pastor's heart what it looks like. But she had, there was just right there in Elizabeth's living room singing praises to God in your car, in the shower, if the Holy Ghost hits you in the middle of Walmart. Why? Because he, this was a rescuing act of God. Lastly, Jennifer, if you'll come. Mary recognized God's mercy. Verse 54. This is from the Mirror Translation. With this in mind, inseparably focused on His mercy, He embraced His child Israel to Himself. And just as He had spoken face to face with our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary is recognizing that the fulfillment of God's promise to be merciful to his people will come through her son Jesus. He promised, God promised, to Abraham, if you'll go back to Genesis and you look where he blessed him and he accounted it unto Abraham as righteousness because he believed. He said, I will be merciful to you. And then he starts with all those, I will, I will. That's new covenant language that God was promising that through the seed of Abraham, he would bless all people. So I have to jump over to Galatians, the sixth chapter, the third chapter, I'm sorry, verse 16, to show you this. Here's what Paul does to teach us what has happened now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. I just told you that. That's from Genesis. But he does not say seeds. Do you see that on the screen? As of many, but as one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So the seed of the fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham is who? Christ. Who is privileged to carry Christ in a physical form to birth him was Mary. And she's declaring the goodness of God and she's recognizing that through her son, mercy will be granted to all generations. Let's go a few verses down. Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed here it is, and heirs according to what? The promise. So that the promise that God made all the way back in Genesis to Abraham, he had you in mind. Can I go a step further? Paul says in Romans eleven twelve, 12, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Far from it. For I am a descendant of Abraham, and God not has not rejected his people, here it is, whom he foreknew. God has not rejected you. I'm trying to help you. We can learn as Mary recognized that the promise of God was fulfilled in Christ, and if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. And the seed was given to, to fulfill the promise. And he had us in mind whom he foreknew. 
I have to take one more step into this. Ephesians, the first chapter. Verse number four. Just as He chose us, say I'm us, in whom before the foundation of the world. When did He choose us? <laughs> that we would be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us before the foundation of the world that in Christ He saw us as blameless and holy. What did you do to deserve that? What did you do to earn that? When did He do that? Before the foundation of the world. So your Genesis is not Genesis 1. as He chose us in Him who Christ before the foundation of the world that we, that's us, would be holy and blameless before Him who Christ. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. He did not predestine you to slaves, as slaves. He did not predestine you as sinners. He did not predestine you as born in sin. <laughs> he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Christ according to His good pleasure of His will. I am here to tell you this morning that the plan, the original design and the plan of God had been laid out, mapped out, planned and had succeeded before He spoke the worlds into existence. Jeremiah has a brief glimpse of that and he says, you knew me in my mother's womb. Before you formed me, you had chosen me. I'm, I am so full of joy and excitement at the goodness of God, the victory of God, and I look back at the cross and I say, thank God for the blood. Thank God for what He did at the cross. Thank God that He forgave me in Christ. That He delivered me, raised me up. That I'm ascended and seated in Him right now. But He had all that in mind before He ever spoke the worlds into existence. That just blows this little hillbilly's mind that God thought enough about you and He thought enough about me that He would plan out our destiny and that He would see us as blameless and holy. This is not something I'm trying to make up. I just read a scripture to you from Ephesians that said before the worlds were formed, His plan for you, you are the seed of Abraham. And the promise was fulfilled in Christ what had been hidden for so many years was revealed in the incarnation of Christ. As you stand, I want you to listen. I posted something this week and I, at Disney we saw all types of Christmas trees and lights. The lights are just lights everywhere. I like lights. I like colored lights, blinking lights, flashing lights. I like lights. 
But when I look at lights, it reminds me, especially at this time of the year, that Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. John records the birth of Jesus and he takes what Isaiah prophesied that those who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And John says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And he said, and the light and the life of God or of men was in him. He is then as he teaches his disciples and before he leaves what he said was to our advantage that he would go away because if he was with us he could only be with a few of us at a time in one place but it was to our advantage for him to go away to send the Holy Spirit who took up residence inside of us and now he's in us and he works through us to the point that God said Jesus said before he left you are the light of the world a city on the hill that cannot be hid you are the light of the world those who have walked in darkness need to see a great light. The way that we can show the light of God is to let our light shine, to illuminate this message. Rejoice. When people see you rejoicing, they'll want to know why are you so happy? Why do you exude kindness and goodness? People will want to know why you're always walking around declaring victory because I'm not fighting for it anymore, I'm working from it. I already have it, and I'm letting what's been worked in, I'm walking it out. People are going to know why you are always recognizing the hand of God on your life and on the others' lives. That's letting your light shine in the darkness. Would you ask the Lord right now to reveal to you how you can let your light shine? Just talk to Him right now. He, He's listening.